And Paul was starting his defense of his um, uh, accusations that the Judaizers were bringing against him as being a, a false apostle and not a real one. And he uh, spent time alone. He spent Arabia, three years in Arabia, uh, preaching to uh, those. And he came back and seen Peter and spent some time with him. And then he went into Judea to preach to them. And we're going to see here in a minute when we get into this that he comes back for his second visit to Jerusalem. Now all these things that Peter is talking, or Paul is talking about are things that have already happened. Uh, you can go back and, and look at the chronology of them in, in Acts, uh, actually 4 through 15. But Paul is uh, uh, telling the Galatians in his letter all these things because he's being accused of not being the apostle of the apostles. He's, not being, he's being accused of being a false apostle and that he's not uh, truly a real apostle. So he has to recount some of the things that he did to, give, to convince them of that. And so he continues to uh, recount some of the events of his past, uh, not of his former life as a Pharisee, but his life after his conversion. And he ends chapter 1, he said uh, that he, even though he was persecuted and that he persecuted the church and he now preaches the faith that he tried to destroy at one time, he says, now I tend to glorify God in this. He, he leaves us with the thought that he no longer tries to please men, but he tries to please God, please God. And he said that when he went to uh, Judea and started preaching to them, that they were joyful and glorified God because of his conversion. <clears throat> Excuse me. We get into chapter 2 this evening. He's going to deal with a situation that has come up in Galatia. And so he's, re he's recounting this, this situation to give more evidence of his um, position as an apostle, but he wants to give that, um, that solid, um, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for, uh, solid evidence that he is who he says he is and he preaches what is the true gospel. Now we'll read verses 1 through 10, and he says in, Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 10, he said, Then, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, least by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately, spying out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatever they were, 
it maketh no matter to me, Paul says, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But counterwise, when they saw that the gospel of uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectively in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty unto me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cyphus, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Paul says, now 14 years after I went up the first time from Jerusalem, now there is a uh, different view from some theologians, but most theologians agree that the 14 years he's talking about here is from his conversion. So at this point, Paul is talking about 14 years after he went up to Jerusalem the second time, would have been, he would have been about a 17-year-old Christian. So that leaves 11 years that we don't know of that he was in Judea preaching. But it changes there because he was in Judea Give you a little background of that. <clears throat> this is all recorded in the book of Acts. Paul goes into Judea and he preaches for 10 years in Judea. And then Barnabas is sent to Antioch or sent to Taurus, where Paul was at in Judea, to get Paul and bring him to Antioch. Okay, that, that's kind of a background. That's what he was doing. He was in Judea. Uh, Barnabas was sent by the church in Antioch to go get him, and Paul agrees, and he comes back to Antioch. A year after he'd been in Antioch, preaching to the, the people in Antioch, he is now called by revelation, he says, to go up to Jerusalem. So we're going to see uh, Paul's, he sees, he show, he's talked about his second journey to Jerusalem. This time he takes Barnabas with him. He has been with Barnabas for about a year now, preaching to those in Antioch. Uh, many of them have been converted. This is the church of Antioch, Christian church. He also brings with him Titus. Now, two things were going on here. One, Paul says he was called up by revelation. He is still in a special revelation communication with God. He's still being talked with with God. God was telling him exactly what to do. He's not been uh, uh, lost of that. God is still talking with him. He says, by revelation, he was sent up to Jerusalem. He said he took Barnabas and Titus with him. Barnabas was a Jew. He was one of the uh, main men of the church in Antioch. Barnabas wasn't his real name. Anybody know what his real name was? If you go back into the book of Acts, chapter 4, we can read this. I'm trying to make up some time so we don't get things. But if you go back into chapter 4, verse, I want to say, 30, yeah, 36, uh, we have the, the uh, 
in the book of Acts in chapter 4, we have the apostles or the disciples are gathered together and Judas has done, gone and, and killed himself. And now they have to uh, pick a new apostle to carry on his ministry. So it says, it says, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distributed with many, made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, or Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, so Barnabas' given name was Joseph. It says, Barnabas, which is interpreted the son of consolation. He was a Levite of the country of Cyrus. So he was this, uh, uh, what they called Barnabas, the, the son of consolation, or the son of encouragement. Now we can see that in the book of Acts later on where he is talking with Paul and John Mark, and he's having that confrontation with, uh, Paul's having a confrontation with John Mark. It is Barnabas who encourages John Mark to continue in the ministry. And he does for a while. Then later on, it is Barnabas who convinces Paul to take him on again. He encourages him in that. And that was his character. He was one, one um, uh, field and called that sang sangrin character. That how you, the sangrin character. He was the encourager. That I think that was Barnabas's his gift. He was the one that encouraged. He's the one who was able to console people in times of need. And so they they nicknamed the the apostle nicknamed him Barnabas because that was his kind of his character. Now Titus was a Greek, or he was a Gentile, okay? Uh, Barnabas was also a Levite. I forgot to tell you that. Titus was a uh, Gentile, but he was also, because of his, his salvation, because he got saved, and he was a believer, he too was a leader in the Antioch church. Now you have a Jew and a Gentile both being co-pastors or co-workers, in a, in a church, a Gentile church, okay? So Paul says that he went up by revelation unto uh, Jerusalem and to communicate the gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. So this is one of the, the main reasons he went up. Well, well, one was to they in Antioch had taken up a collection for the poor Jews in Jerusalem. And so they were taking that gift up there. But the main reason he was going up there was to confront an issue of doctrine. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, as we spoke about in chapter 1, uh, Paul was dealing with these false apostles, these Judaizers, that had came into Galatia, and that's the reason he's writing the letter, saying that these Judaizers were, were accusing Paul of not being an apostle and that his gospel was wrong, and that they said that to be saved, to be a Christian, you had not only to believe in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, but you also had to follow the Jewish ceremonial laws. And Paul had a problem with that. Uh, one of the main uh, ceremonial laws that they were dealing with, and Paul speaks about here and he speaks of it in Acts, is circumcision. Uh, circumcision was a law passed down by God to Moses 
for the Israelites, just like the, the, uh, the Sabbath uh, laws. And there was another law they had that, and we'll see in, in chapter 3, or chapter 2, of being able to eat or sit down to a table, Jews and Gentiles together. Now, Jesus didn't have a problem. They never, they, you know, they tried to accuse him of, of heresy and stuff like that. that and this was a, a problem that Paul was dealing with. But this problem he was dealing with here was on circumcision, saying that, you know, well, you have to be circumcised to be a true believer, okay? And Paul says, no, that's not what it was. The, it deals with the justification of faith alone. And this is what Paul is going to deal with here. And he goes up to Jerusalem, and he says that he preached to them the gospel in which he'd been preaching. He preaches to a, a group of people in Jerusalem. Peter's there. John's there. Um, uh, James is there. James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. They're all there. And Paul is teaching or preaching to them the gospel that he's been preaching all this time. And he says <coughs> he has a private meeting with them. Some people say, well, the, the, the Bible is dull and it, you know, there's no excitement in it. If this right here was a movie, we would be intrigued. Because he says that he went into a private meeting with James and Peter and John and several others. Those of a reputation, he says. Those who were men in the church or people in the church who uh, probably had some influence. It would like be called, like coming into this church and having the pastor and the associate pastor and all the deacons sitting here in a private office or private meeting and dealing on an issue that was going on. But he says he had this private meeting. And the reason this private meeting was, was one was for uh, dealing with this issue of circumcision, as well as justification, which that circumcision falls into that because it's liberty of our, our in Christ. But he says he wanted to make sure that what he preached, the gospel he preached, was, he wasn't doubting himself here, but he was making sure that what I preached to them, I wasn't doing in vain. I wasn't doing it now, and I wasn't doing it in the past, in vain, that what I was preaching was exactly what they were preaching. He said he wanted to make sure of that. So he did that. He said, least by any means I should run or had run in vain, meaning his ministry, working in ministry, doing what should have been done, and making sure that I wasn't doing it in vain. He said, and Titus went up with me, Titus being a Greek. It says, what compelled was compelled being a Jew who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He took Titus on a, basically Titus was going to be a, an example. Um, Titus was a Greek, he was a Gentile, he was a believer, he was uncircumcised. He was a member or a lead in the church in Antioch. And so this is dealing with what we call our Christian liberty. Okay, Titus was not circumcised. And that was the problem 
with those in Jerusalem and these Judaizers that were in Galatia speaking to um, uh, accusing Paul was one of these, that you had to be circumcised to be a believer. You not only had to believe in Jesus Christ, but you had to follow the Jewish ceremonial laws. And Paul said, that's not right. That is not justification by faith. That would be justification by faith plus works. And so he had a very hard issue with that. And he took Titus with him. And he said that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, he came into this private meeting with Peter and James and John and whoever else was there. And somehow, which leaves us a bunch of questions, how did those spies, he calls them false brethren, so they were within that group of believers, excuse me, in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, they apparently called themselves brethren. They were probably there all the time. We don't know who exactly they were. But Paul calls them false brethren. But somehow they got into this private meeting with him and Peter and John and James. And he says that they came in to spy out our liberty. The liberty he's speaking of is that justification. Justification by faith. We do not add anything to our salvation. God does it. He brings us into salvation by his grace through our faith. We don't do anything else. There is no works on our part. But the Judaizers, these false brethren, are coming into this meeting wanting to find out exactly what this liberty that he was talking about and why these issues. They were also coming in and confronting him and the others with the issue of this uncircumcision. Okay, And not only that, there were other ones too about sitting down with with uh, Gentiles and Jews sitting at the same table eating. That was a, a different issue, but it all falls underneath that liberty we have in Christ. When we are justified by faith, when we accept by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, we now have a liberty in Christ. And that liberty is we are allowed to do whatever we want, Right? To a point. We can. And these, this, we still deal with this today. In the church and in everywhere else. People believe on one end. That you're saved. You've got your ticket to heaven. You can go out and do anything you want. You can go out and drink and smoke and party. And whatever you want to do. And that's true. We do have that option. But because we're saved and we believe in Christ, we love Christ, we don't want to do that stuff. So those who go out and do that, thinking that they can go out and do all that, oh, it's okay, I'm going to go to heaven anyway, they're probably truly not saved. But Paul is dealing with this issue of liberty. And that's what these spies came in to see. They wanted to see how far the Christians were going with this. On the other end of that specter, we have people who says, 
you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. I read a lot of Puritan books. And the Puritans, they were strict. But they weren't strict, so strict that they were so legalistic that you couldn't do anything. Okay? Um, I, I like it. I've read one book on them. And, and a lot of people get this picture of Puritans all dressed in black with a white shirt and a big black hat. That's not how they always looked. That was their Sunday best. They said that uh, John Owen, and I think or William Perkins, William Perkins on his days off when he wasn't in church preaching or he wasn't uh, speaking somewhere, he wore purple corduroy pants with a blue coat and probably a yellow shirt. Now, People say, oh, well, they're so strict and so snobby-nosed. No, they laughed. They said they would, their meeting house, at some times, I think it was uh, John Owen, they would sometimes meet in the local pub. They would drink their beer. They didn't get drunk. Of course, beer wasn't as strong as it is now. Okay, so it was just beer, it was just brute. But they would meet there, and they would have a few drinks, and they would talk things over. So they weren't these, these real strict uh, people that everybody thinks they were. But on that one end, you have those legalistic people that say, you can't do this, you can't do that. I remember Brenda telling me that one of the church when she was a kid, they went to, if you wore pants into that church, the woman wore pants in that church, your name would be all over town. You are just terrible. You know, uh, if you didn't have your hair cut a certain way or you didn't have, you know, you weren't doing things this way or that way. Anyway, that, that, that's the one spectrum of that. And the other side is you go out and do anything you want no matter what it does, what it is. But God says we have a liberty. We, we need to be in that middle. There are things we are allowed to do that is within God's boundaries, and there are things that we are not allowed to do, okay? And this is what Paul is dealing with. He's, he's dealing with these, these issues that, that arise about circumcision, for one. This is what he's going to discuss here, is circumcision. But he says, These false brethren came in to spy out our liberty, which is in Christ, that they may, what it says, bring us back into bondage. Our liberty in Christ releases us. It releases us to do the things that God has appointed us to do. It, um, I've got my, let me get my paper out here. Um, This liberty allows us to, well, let me see where I got my word here. The Jewish leaders tell them, making more accusations against Paul, Peter, and others, so they could continue to teach contrary to the true gospel to bring people back into slavery. They wanted to keep imposing their Jewish ceremonial laws even after they'd gotten saved. When, I don't know if any of you read church history, but when Henry VIII decided 
He couldn't get the Catholic Church, which they were a part of in England, he couldn't get his divorce through the church. They wouldn't do it for him. He decided to break away, break away from them. He said, nope, okay, that's fine. We are no longer going to have priests. We're no longer going to have you controlling us. So he starts the Church of England, which was a good thing in a way. But the problem was they didn't get rid of all of those laws that the Catholic Church had, the Roman Catholic Church had. They kept uh, confessions. They kept priests. They changed them because they didn't like the priests that the Catholic Church put or Roman Catholic Church put in. Uh, they kept certain ceremonial laws. They could, certain things that the Catholic Church still had, they went ahead and kept even though they're separating from them and starting a whole new church. They still kept them. And that's what P Paul is talking about here. These, these spies or these Judaizers wanted to come out, come in and, and find out what we were talking about as our liberty so they can turn around and, and start contrary to what we've been preaching, continue preaching contrary to it and keep us in that slavery bondage. But Paul says that's, that's not going to work. He goes on to verse 5. He says, to whom we gave place Subjection, no, not even for an hour. So all these men, and supposedly these men who were Judaizers, who were, who were supposed to be spies in here and, and doing this, they were supposed to be influential people in the church, apparently, because he says here, he says, we gave them no mind. We stood up to them and said, that's not happening here. They wanted to say, no, 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 you've got to keep doing this and doing that. And, and Paul said, we didn't even give them a minute of time. We said, that's not happening. Paul says, even those who seemed to be influential in the church or thought they were, we didn't give them any mind. He said, that truth of the gospel might continue. He said, we weren't going to have it. It would be like having a church meeting here, and we have this guy here from another church, and he says, or, or, or maybe even a member of our church, and say, no, we're going to do it this way, you have to do it this way. And this. No, we're not doing that. That's not going to happen here. Okay? And that's what they're talking about. He's talking about here. He's telling them, we're going to continue to preach the gospel that we've been taught, or forget it. We don't need your input because you're false. He says, but of these who seem to be somewhat, so... A few of these men who were in this church meeting were supposed to be influential people. They were supposed to be, um, you know, these somewhat. Paul puts it this way. He said, but these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, makes no matter to me. Paul says, I don't care. That's a sense in which we need to be. When we get through this, there's one of the things that I want to see about it is when we teach the gospel or we preach the gospel or we share the gospel with somebody, if someone comes against us, you know what? It doesn't make any matter. If we know we're in the right, if we are preaching from this word, it doesn't matter what they say. Because we need to be like Paul. We need to stand up. We need to be bold against those who are trying to put us down. He says, I don't care who they were. It doesn't matter to me. 
He said, God accepts no man's person. Donald Trump, I'm I'm a Donald Trump fan. I like Donald Trump. We need to have him back, okay? But if we had Donald Trump here and Billy Graham here and several other influential people of the world all standing up here, and they all say, well, Donald said, well, we need to do this and this, and Bill Graham said, no, we need to do this, and this guy said, we need to do this, and that guy said, we need to do this. You know what? doesn't matter what they say. It's what God says. If none of those men are following through the scripture of God's word, their ideas don't mean nothing. He said it is God's word. It is who God does. God has no particular person. If I got up here and preached, and Pastor Joe got up here and preached, and everybody said, oh, that's so great. Both of you are so good and so great. So we want this one or we want that one. You choose whoever you choose. That's fine. Okay? It makes no difference because God does not have a particularity to any one person. God looked down at us, and every one of us are exactly the same. Me and Teddy's the same, according to God. Me and Richard, me and Shirley, me and Brenda, me and we're all the same. There's no respect or person. <coughs> Paul says. Not only do I don't care what those men say, think, or say, he says, I don't, they didn't even help me any. Nothing they said, he says, he says for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. They didn't help me any one way or the other. He says, I know what I'm preaching because I got it straight from God. He said, what they're talking about has nothing to do with me. He says, I'm not going to pay any attention to it. He goes on to say, counterwise, he says, otherwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the uncircumcision was unto Peter. Here we're going to get to the, the big fact. Once they understood Paul's position and realized that the same grace that was given to Paul to preach to the Gentiles was the same grace that Peter was given by Christ himself when he was physically on earth, was the same thing, only Paul's was to the Gentiles, uncircumcised, and Peter was to the circumcised, the Jews. They realized that. After all their their communication, after all their arguing or, or fighting or whatever they were doing in this private meeting, they all come down to this. The liberty I have and the grace I had to preach the gospel to the Jews by Peter was the same gospel, was the same grace, was the same teaching that I received, Paul says, from Christ to go to the Gentiles. There was no difference. It was the exact same thing. They realized that. And Paul says, that he was to go to the uncircumcised and me to the uncircumcised. In verse 8, he says, For he that wrought effectively in Peter, the apostle of circumcision, he's talking about Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. We tried to go by God's word in this church. I tried to preach and teach what God speaks in his word, Pastor Joe does that. 
whoever is teaching in these classes, Stephen, Danny B. We all try to do the same preaching, teaching of this word. If someone else would come in and start preaching something different, we'd have a problem, wouldn't we? We should have. Some churches don't do that. Some churches will sit by and let somebody else come in and teach us other doctrine. And you know that all this is doctrine. Every word that Jesus Christ spoke is doctrine. It is, it is the teaching of Christ. If they were to come in and start teaching a different doctrine, oh, well, we, we have to have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We have to have. Well, wait a minute. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that. It says as often as we do it, right? Uh, we have to have all the preachers, all the teachers, everybody who, who has a class or preaches up here on the stage has to wear a suit and tie. No, that, that's not essential, okay? So what would we do? Well, we, I hope, we stand up and say, no, that's not happening here. We have our way, okay, and it's scriptural then we would stand up. And that's what some churches don't do that. A lot of churches that are dying out today, or, or I guess you, some churches, I put it this way, some churches are expanding. And they're getting bigger only because they are bringing in the world. They're bringing in the rock bands. They're bringing in the flashy lights. They're bringing in Everything that the world says you need to market your church. Well, I don't see no flashy lights up here. I don't see no rock band. Okay, we're a traditional church. We, with that, you know, if we were to start doing that, yeah, we hey, we may bring in thousands of people. We may have to expand the walls. But that has nothing to do with what God wants. What God wants is obedience of his word and not some kind of marketing ploy just to bring people in. Paul goes on, he said, but that, that effective of Holy Spirit, that, that grace that worked in me to go to the Gentiles was the same grace that went into Peter and taught him to go into the Jews. And he says, when James and Cyprus, now here you go, we see Cyprus. Who's Cyprus? That's Peter. If you go back into Acts, you read that, you'll see where they, Cyprus was his given name, Peter was his uh, apostle name, the same name. Peter, James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, pillars in the church. They were three of the big men in church. They were influential. They were the three who everybody went to. They seemed to be the pillars, perceived that the grace that was given unto me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Augustine once made a statement, and, and I like using this because it gives us a good uh, view of how things should be. Augustine said, in essentials, we need unity. In non-essentials, that's where we have that liberty. But in all things, we have to have charity. We have to have love. 
And Paul says here that James and Peter and John, who seem to be the pillars of the church, who seem to be the guys really in charge, realized that the grace given to him was the same grace given to Peter and John and James to preach the gospel. He said, they, had, they gave me and Barnabas a hand of fellowship. That fellowship, that you are my brother. They, right there, uh, concreted Paul's apostleship to anybody who had a question about it. Because if you have 11 other apostles over here saying, that man's one of us, what more evidence do you need? If this church was to send out a missionary from our membership, and he goes to the field, and somebody asks him, said, well, what makes you a missionary? Go talk to my church. They're the ones who sent me. They're the ones who told me that I was capable of doing it. They're the ones who trained me. They're the ones who sent me out. This is the evidence that Paul needed. This is basically the, the concrete evidence to say, I'm an apostle. Right there it is. Peter, John, James, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, they all gave me that hand and sent me back out. So they agreed with him. They gave us the right hand of fellowship that we should go into the heathen or the Gentiles and they continue into the circumcision, the Jews. Okay. Now there were groups of Jews who, if you were born a Jew on the eighth day, you were circumcised. So if you were an adult, you were already circumcised. You're adult male, you're already circumcised. But they wanted to do was, they wanted to make sure that everybody, now, this is going to get complicated because it goes back into the Old Testament. Jesus spoke that we were now born-again believers, whether we were Jew or Gentile, we are now descendants of who? Spiritually. Abraham. So we are now in this group of special people that God has called out. Jerusalem or Israelites were God's chosen people. And so spiritually, we as born-again Christians are now descendants of Abraham, spiritually. And so the Jews believed that. They understood that. It's the passage where, where it's talking about the, uh, the, the, uh, the branch that is cut off from this tree and then added to this tree, that's us. We're added to that Jerusalem tree or that Israelite tree, okay? Now that we're saved. We are a part of it. We're not Jews, okay? But the Jews who get saved are no longer Jews in Christ. We're all the same. We're all child of God, okay? Is that not saying? Y'all get that? Okay? When we get saved, we now become part of God's family, right? That family, he takes not only us, but he also takes those who believe from the Jews and puts them together. And because Abraham was his beginning of his people, his Israelites, God says that you are now spiritually a descendant from Abraham. Okay? That, that's a whole other message. We'll maybe get into that one day. But he says now, only we, or he says, I was sent to the heathen, the Gentiles, and he was sent to the circumcision, the Jews. He says, only they 
would that we should remember the poor. So he says, they gave us the hand of the friend of fellowship. They told us to, to go back and keep doing what you're doing. Keep preaching the gospel to the, to the uh, Gentiles. Keep telling them about Christ. He said, but they asked us one thing to do, and that was to remember the poor. And Paul says, I was going to do that anyway. He said, I already had that in mind. He said, the same which I also was forward to do. He, basically, he's saying, that's already what we're doing. Because when they came, they brought that donation from Antioch to the Jerusalem church. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. One of the things that we deal with in, from here on through is going to be that justification by faith. Who we are in Christ from our conversion, our, our salvation, that is our position. Okay? Uh, we are justified, if we were to all, if God took us all out of here right now, or if one of us died, we would stand before Christ. What would he say to us? If we're born again, he's going to say, welcome, come on in, right? That's our justification. Our justification is in Christ. Christ died, he paid the penalty for us on the cross, Buried and rose again, his resurrection. That dying on the cross was the penalty payment for us. Okay? So now, that's our justification. I, I was listening to um, Alistair Begg one day, and he was talking about a story that another preacher told him. And he said, think of the three men on the cross. You had two thieves on the side and Jesus in the middle. The one thief, you know, mocked God and, and, and cursed him. And the other one said, God, remember me when you come into, your parad into paradise or into your kingdom, right? What happened then? That man got saved. He went with Christ to heaven, okay? So the story is that he, he come up with this story where you, this guy died and he come before heaven he stood there at the gate, and the gatekeeper said, uh, what are you doing here? He said, well, I want to come in. He said, well, have you uh, said all your penance? He said, what penance? He said, well, did you, did you do this? Nope. Did you do that? Nope. Did you do this and that? No. Then why should you come in? He said, because the man in the middle of the cross said I could he said, that man in the middle cross said, I could come. And, that, and that's what he's talking about. That, that is our justification. That man was justified the moment he died because Christ stood right there on that cross and told him, you'll be with me. That's our justification. So our justification is in Christ. And that's what Paul, Peter, or Paul, Peter, Paul, Mary, <laughs> Paul is going to talk about from here on out. And in this second part, from 11 to 21, he's going to deal with Peter. Wait a minute, here's Peter. He's a pillar in the church. You see this drama that we're having here? Peter is a pillar of the church. He's one of the, the big men of the preachers. 
Guess what? Peter is a hypocrite for one moment. He made an error, and he's going to have to be forced to look at it. We'll get into that next week. But you see the drama that's happening here? If this was a movie, we'd all be going, oh, wow. You know? But we just, when we read this, we just read through it. We don't stop to think about it. But Paul is dealing with the, our freedom that we have, our freedom we have in Christ. And we have a lot of freedoms. You know, we, we talk about slavery back in the 1800s. When they were emancipated and let free, some of them didn't go anywhere. They stayed with their masters. Why? Because they had it good. Some of them weren't beaten and, and starved, and they weren't forced to do hard labor and all this stuff. Some of them were treated very nice. They were fed nice. They were clothed nice. They had nice homes. They weren't mansions, but they were homes. They had families, kids, grandkids. When they got old and couldn't work no more, they were able to sit on the front porch of the little house and rock back and forth, and the master still took care of them. But then some of them took off, and the ones that took off probably got in worse shape than they were before they left. And this is what Christ is talking about, our freedom. When Christ died and paid the penalty for us, and we, by grace, through faith, accept him and his death, burial, and resurrection, we now have that freedom to go out and do what we need to do. And the reason we don't go out and do the bunch of stuff that we really shouldn't do is because we know that our master, Jesus, has rules. They're not bad rules. He says, just obey me. Your child grows up. If that child obeys you every time you tell them to do something, how do they grow up? Grow up okay, right? They're not, you know, if they don't obey, they get punished. We're the same way. I always thought when I, when I was younger, I went to multiple churches. We went to a Baptist church. We went to Salvation Army. We went to Catholic. We went to, well, I did. Went to a Lutheran church. Different churches. And each one of them had different rules. You know, you couldn't do this. You could do that. You couldn't do this. But when I was growing up, what we did, I didn't care. You know, I used to go with the Baptist church with a friend of mine who lived behind us. And the only reason I went every Sunday to Sunday school and church with him, his dad drove the bus, and just about every Sunday he would stop and buy us all ice cream. That was why I went. I wanted that ice cream. I didn't care what happened at church. I didn't care what we taught about in, in Sunday school. I wanted to go and get that ice cream. I'll tell you a funny story which made him upset one Sunday. We uh, went to church, and they always had competitions for the bus drivers. And one competition was the one who brought the most kids this certain month uh, got a whole encyclopedia, whole set of Encyclopedia Britannica, right? You know, what's that, $500 worth of books, you know, back then? And, you know, back then they didn't have Google, they didn't have cell phones, and, you know, you had books, right? So we get to church. Well, when we leave, they announced at the end of the service that uh, Brother Ebshire won this month's 
surprised. The whole set of encyclopedias. They were poor like us. They weren't, and put this way, they were poorer than we were, our family was. But we weren't rich. We were barely middle class, if that. Um, but that was, that was a big thing for him and his family. You know, his kids now have something they can go through and research and look at all the information. And that was great for him. And I, he got a little upset with me because when we got back on the bus to go home, I hollered out and I said, well, since we helped you win that, you can buy us all ice creams or take us to dinner or something, you know. And he did. Oh, he didn't like that because that was going to cost me money. <laughs> Which that was my fault. I shouldn't have done that. That was, you know, and he, he kind of gave me a dirty look, but that's okay. You know, we got over it. But there's freedoms that we have, and, and Paul is going to deal with these freedoms. And the main freedom is that justification by faith. If we were to get saved at this very moment and then die, we'd stand before God. That's justified. We will be just. It's just like going into a courtroom, and the judge stands there and says, what did you do? Well, I did this and this and this and that. But then that guy over there says, I've done taking care of all that. Oh, okay, you're free to go. Christ justified us. We are now justified in faith, in Christ, by faith. Okay? Any questions? Anything at all? Okay. Next week, we'll go through 11 to 21. Paul will be dealing with Peter. Peter, uh, you can read this. You'll, you read through this, you'll understand. Peter comes to Antioch. And when he gets there, he does something that's very hypocritical. And Paul calls him out on it. Okay? So, if there's nothing else, no questions. Grace Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We ask you, Father, to be with us as we leave tonight. We thank you for uh, just helping us to understand, helping, giving us your word, Father. That was, that was one of the biggest things, that you, you gave us that, that we may understand your word. God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for our justification in you, Christ, that we can have the freedoms to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, to preach your word, to share the gospel, and to be part of your family in heaven. Father, we thank you tonight. We ask you to watch over us as we go. Bless all those who need a blessing. God, help those who need comfort. Bless those who need a helping hand in whichever may it do. Father, we do thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.